Hi there and welcome to The Sniff. I'm Nicola Thomas and today we are joined by a very special guest all the way from Rhode Island in the United States. We have with us the founder of indie brand January Scent Project, John Beeble. Welcome, John. Hello, Nicola. How are you? Great, thank you. Thank you so much for finding time for us in your what sounds like a very busy schedule. <laughs> no, I don't mind at all. It's great to speak with you. So let's start by getting you to introduce yourself and just say a little bit about your work, please. Sure. Um, so I am a kind of multidisciplinary person. I uh, work in writing for, for Grantica, as some of you may know me. Um, I also work in software design. I'm an artist, a few different things that I do. And I started making perfumes about 2014 or so, producing them. And uh, so I also do a lot of writing through the Fragantica work. So I travel and I do some interviewing. So I'm, I'm pretty involved in perfume world as well from that perspective. Brilliant. And I think as we both know, it's a very all-encompassing world, isn't it? When you become passionate about fragrance, it seems to take over your life. It does. It does. And I, I believe also that, you know, once you start getting into it, you can start to smell so many different perfumes, the different substances that you make with them. You meet the various people who make them across the different brands. And in your case, you know, you're writing about them and um, as well as I have been. So it really can start to seep in so many different things that you do. So where did your journey into fragrance begin? You know, was it a slow descent or did you was it wham bam and I'm totally in love with this now? It it really was the latter, I want to say, because I know I've met some people who have said that, oh, I've I've done this all my life and you know, it just has been a growing passion. But I think for me it was a, a much it was like a dive, really, because I always had been interested from a young perspective, but never to the extent that I am now. And when I started doing some writing and smelling, the instinct to want to create sense became overwhelming really fast. I mean, my curiosity was just through the roof about how do you actually make these things? And as soon as you get that curiosity, it's it's sort of unstoppable. You really want to understand how to make perfume. And so it um, for someone like myself, who tends to really go after things that you're interested in, it's uh it's an invitation for a, for obsession really quick. <laughs> yeah, I, I can, what you're saying completely resonates with me as well. So you mentioned on the January Scent Project website that you aren't specifically trained in chemistry. How did you gather enough knowledge to start making sense without that formal training? Well, it's a lot of work. And I've spoken about this with some other perfumers who began on their own. You There's a few different paths, and I think it involves a couple key things. First off is a ton of exposure to the actual things that go into making uh, perfume. You also need to talk to a, a ton of people out there. And there are fortunately a lot of people on forums and websites who are presenting a little bit of info. I mean, they've been doing the DIY um, perfume stuff for, for quite some time and they want to help you to get started. I want to stress, though, that it's also a fairly close community in the sense that nobody gives this stuff away for free. Like they, I think that they know that you need to find out a lot on your own and you have to experience it by, by doing. So it's not that it costs money, but they sort of want you to go through the tough part and find these things out. So they'll 
and I talk about this by some of the the, the veterans who are out there. And uh, for like, for example, Base Notes has a, a very thriving community of DIY perfumers. And you'll often find that some people will say, well, here's a good formula to begin studying, like, for example, a sandalwood accord. But it's just a beginning stage. You really need to, to play with this and develop it on your own. So a lot of it is baby steps that you then need to tirelessly work on on your own and study and study until you achieve something that works wonderful but it sounds like once you start on that journey it becomes like you say an all-encompassing passion oh completely and and you can and you know i i happen to have stumbled into like roses for example at the beginning and that need to understand the chemical background of what makes a rose, you know, took up a good two years of, of work for me. Um, and, and you don't lose that. That's now part of your sort of arsenal of knowledge, which you'll then bring to anything else that you make from there as well. So following on from that, let's talk a little bit about fragrances and arts. You know, what's your take on this? Can perfume even be an art? I thought a lot about this, and I'm glad you you specifically asked me this question. Um, I I have an, a take on it that might be a little different than some. I I think it can be. I'm not sure that it always is, but uh, I think maybe what makes fragrance a bit different than typical arts is that there's the aspect of reproducibility in fragrance that for example it's really hard to make something and then to be able to make it again or i wouldn't say it's hard it's part of the media you know that you want to be able to produce it and share it for other folks and i think that needs to be and ought to be one of the respected aspects of perfume it's sort of like this people who you know were making uh, a very important political art that needed to be uh, printed on on a printing press that so it could be you know seen by as many people as possible or you know extremely high quality um, engravings or, or things like that. I think that it is a reproducible art that many people can understand and appreciate so that's inherently part of its media I mean if you just make one bottle of one perfume of you know a small amount that's it's an art that no one's going to be able to appreciate. So I think that that's part of how to understand it as an art, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. I think it's one thing to make a really precious small bottle of something that you would use just for yourself, you know, just using the most precious things that you have, uh, the, the best rose adders that you have and, and, and whatnot. And, that's that's a wonderful thing, but I, but being able to then you know create something a portable version of that that other people could could enjoy and experience and talk about and and whatnot is a different thing. So I, I believe a successful perfume, and particularly if you think about it, the a successful perfume often has to outlive the author of the perfume, right? I mean, look at something like. Um, Jean Patou's Joy or something. I mean, that's 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 really old perfume formula, and and so it it needs to withstand time as well too. So that reproducibility of it is um is is kind of an important facet. Mm. And your website tells me that you make music, you paint, you make visual art, you create yeah. fragrance. How does one discipline inform the other? They do inform each other a lot, and it. It, it is a bit funny thinking like when I hear that those things listed out, I, I, I laugh a bit like, cause a lot of people say, how do you find time to do this? <laughs> and uh, I, I had an instructor in college say something really 
fascinating for me. He said, we always manage to find time for what we want, which, which is, is both wonderful and chilling at the same time. <laughs> but, Absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. And, uh, but, it, but I think what, what that means to me still is that it, um, it sort of shows where our hierarchies are often and that what's important to us kind of does rise to the top and we do make room for it in some way. And a lot of ideas I do have, they tend to be very serialized, like they will continue to persist and bug me forever until I resolve them or, or work with them in some way. And they do kind of scatter themselves around in, in perfume and in painting, um, in writing. I'll find that what I loved about creating the brand in a way is that it satisfied so many different urges and that I, I just noticed recently that I created a small, somewhat abstract video which involved some music that I made and used some of the the design elements that I use in my packaging and um you know and I was thinking god I'm I'm using every tool in the box today you know <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of how it works with me I think sometimes yeah but how great is it that you've got that arsenal of different tools that you can apply to any sort of creative process because it's helped me yeah it has helped yeah me. Definitely. I can see that it would, certainly. Yeah. Does getting better at, say, painting mm -hmm. make you a better perfumer, though, and vice versa? It can at times. I, I've noticed that what they tend to do is it sort of creates a conversation between the two. And this, this reminds me of uh, there's another American perfumer named Mandy Aftel who works in naturals out in California. And she was talking about to me recently about conversations between different materials within a perfume and that they sort of inform each other. And I noticed with me that the different media I work in will often strike ideas. And I I've noticed, for example, in, in painting that sometimes just the juxtaposition of two colors together um, creates a certain resonance for me that I think this is kind of a metaphor for something that's happening in a perfume idea that I have of two elements that um, are next to each other or are maybe even competing with each other that I want to work with. So I do believe that, that it happens quite a bit. And the, the, that's sort of a friendly, it's a, they inform each other, they inspire each other, but there's also a little bit of friendly competition amongst them too, which helps. Mm, that's fascinating. I love the idea of there being a conversation between materials. That's really, yeah. you know, what what are they saying? You know, what do they know? <laughs> like what they're conspiring about? It's really right. exciting. <laughs> yeah, indeed, indeed, yeah. So where do you draw your inspiration from? And are those inspirations different depending on what medium you're working in or is it more of a sort of holistic inspiration that comes to you? You know, I, I, I think about it sometimes and, and I... It can be sometimes tricky to verbalize because it's very, I think for me, a lot of the inspirations I have are, are, are so eclectic. And, and I, I just finished a painting, which is literally just a, a pile of stuff, you know, and, I, and it has a, it's a depiction of that with a, a little kind of bird sitting on top of it. And he has this sort of look to him, like, look at this crazy nest I just created, you know, and I, and I thought, wow, what a, this is such a ripe metaphor for, for, a lot of things I do, you know, and um, I, I do believe we often are the curators of, of a crazy things that we've collected over our time that we've been alive. And um, we try through art to make some sort of sense out of it or 
or at least to create something worth contemplation out of it, something interesting out of it. And you do start to see themes. And I think the themes are, they're somewhat secondary, but I think they are a kind of thread that you're trying to weave things together or sew them up together. I'm, I'm inspired by such a, a, a crazy lot of different things, but I would say, you know, offhand, my painting has, has been pretty influential. I'm, I'm really influenced by film, for example, and cinema has really informed me a lot. I'm a big reader. So narrative has, is really interesting to me and, and books and novels are really interesting to me. Um, I'm particularly drawn to color as an inspiration. And I will often find that when I'm working in perfume, there's a singular color that is pervading my imagination at one time that that's, that's sort of like the, the color theme that is um, uh, the, the sort of patron of that perfume, if you will. And so there are, and there's also just little stories that are, are getting involved, like little tales that are, are sort of woven into this whole process when I'm working on a perfume as well. And I keep a lot of notes as I'm doing it too. Mm. One of the things that really resonated with me with regard to your brand is the way that the the scents are almost presented as mythologies of an imaginary world. Mm. And I thought that because you use names that sound like they might be medieval or from a foreign language. Mm. And um, in the Discovery set, the scents come with the beautiful little cards that look a little bit like tarot cards to me. Oh, thank you. Um, <laughs> does mythology and that kind of shared experience, shared experience of humanity inform the sense at all? You know, or is that something I'm kind of, projecting onto them no it really does but I, i'm also really excited though that you're you're sort of finding that in them because i i believe with with any sort of art, artistic venture you can only take somebody so far and then you whatever they bring to it is their own experience and, and that's fantastic you know so i i never want to tell someone how to experience the the sense or or the the perfumes or or what the there's there's no list of rules about how to do it but you're, you're so right though about the notion of mythology and about shared experiences and definitely there's a sort of escapism which i'm i'm really interested in as a particular theme i noticed that when i was quite young there were and i've talked about this uh before when i was um at uh, twisted lily in brooklyn when we opened up the line there there, there's some fairy tales that I, I read when I was young and some in a particular volume that had these very uh, brilliant illustrations, which were really etched in my brain at a very young age uh, from Hans Christian Andersen. And those are tough stories to read as a kid. You know, you're <laughs> really, they're pretty heavy. But I think what I loved about them is that it, it's such an expanded world. I mean, things happen in some of those stories and then like Grimm Brothers stories and uh, folk tales from different worlds where anything can happen. I mean, animals can start talking or, you know, um, the landscape can suddenly shift from day to night or, you know, I mean, it's like everything's can turn upside down, you know, um, and it's that um, completely imagination filled world that really astounds me sometimes. And I, and I believe that sometimes we have lost some of that ability to just project in our imaginations. And so I've really enjoyed the process of pushing that as far as I can and, and yet grounded a little bit in a lot of these old, old stories. Um, so there's a lot of different, and I know I'm talking 
about a lot of things going on at the same time. But I think that when you push your imagination, but you sort of ground it into some into some mythology or this idea of fairy tale, there's still something that everyone can relate to on some level there. Mm, absolutely. And for me, um, it's always been Norse myths that have really grabbed me. And a lot of the things you're saying about the Grimm's fairy tales, I think you see them in the Nordic myths as well, the sort of, you know, day becoming night and gods becoming, ho- you know, horses and yes. all the all these things. And I, I think it's really interesting that that speaks to, it's almost like a proto-psychology, I, I think. You know, rather than it being yeah. about a proto-religion necessarily, mm-hmm. it's about proto-psychology. It's about people trying to understand their context and what's happening to them and things like life and death. And, you know, these are these are huge lo- lofty concepts, but I think perfume is an art form that can attack these concepts in a slightly different way to a visual medium or to music. You know, we're all just trying to understand ourselves and our place in the world. And actually, perfume is a, another tool that we can do that through, I, I believe, personally. No, completely. I mean, I was thinking this morning when I, you know, when you and I were going to speak about how, you know, in some of these these stories, you know, you're also, you're, you're using materials in perfume, for example, that what could have been referenced in these stories that are hundreds and hundreds of years old that, you know, or in some cases, millennia old, there's something just remarkable about that, isn't there? That some material in the essential oils that we're using from certain material has been used forever, you know, in, in written history. And so I think there's something to be said there about that shared history and just how old some of this stuff is. So if someone was responding, for example, to the the sort of trans, the transported power of, you know, burned frankincense or whatever, I mean, that's that's almost a cultural trait at this point. I mean, we, we will all, we've been experiencing this for, for a long time. So it does share that with mythology. It's part of our, of, of our sort of cultural collective knowledge right now. So I completely agree with you that it must be part of our general ability to understand what's been happening to us for a very long time. Mm. And of the January Sun Project fragrances, which I've got, um, I've got them all here in front of me on little uh, blotters. Personally, mm-hmm. Selpernicu talks to me the most could you tell me a bit about how that particular fragrance came about and how you went about creating it yeah i'm glad you chose that one because i i find it has an interesting story to it i had previously been working on a fragrance called eider antler which is the very green fougere type of fragrance and mm-hmm. and eider antler was a really difficult perfume to make eider antler was only the second perfume and i was still really refining my process about how to make a perfume. And when I had completed that one, I said, okay, John, <laughs> I had a stern talk with myself. And I said, John, you're, you're not going to do that again. You are going to, you're going to give yourself a deadline and you're going to work quickly. And you, you're going to do exactly the opposite of what you just made. And, and so I, I gave myself a specific task and that was extremely helpful for me because I am the type of person that I create best when I have some boundaries, but and I usually need to make them for myself. So I wanted to make something that was more milky, that was more citrus, 
that had a sweetness to it, a definitely a buttery, milky, lactonic kind of quality. So it was everything different from what the previous perfume had been, which was green and musky and woody and sort of, you know, had a lot of air and, and water in it, things like that. And so it was this incredible leap to the opposite side of the planet. And the fact that I gave myself this incredibly short amount of time to work on it really amped up the the pressure to work hard and fast. And it was such a great methodology. I can't tell you how, how successful that can be sometimes because I pushed myself very hard to to produce this idea. And I think I spent no more than two weeks from start to finish to create wow. this fragrance. Yeah. And, but I think that's also a testament to just how the, the force of will, you know, like when you really want to do something, what I liked about working on it was again, um, it was a real study for me about understanding sandalwood because up to that point, sandalwood confused the heck out of me. It's a very, it's a strange, um, component and, uh, it, it's very subtle, but it, unbelievably powerful like it has so much power as a as a base note and um so i i'm also very interested in gourmand sense but i was trying to understand how you can make a gourmand that isn't necessarily you know just a, a food smell so how you can sort of co combine gourmand elements with things like that could be a bit salty and could be um a bit savory all mixed together with something that is a bit sweet. And it, it posed a lot of challenges for me that I hitherto had not worked on. So that's really how that all began. And as I said, I think uh, I really let intuition guide me, um, but with a pretty steady idea of what I would like to come out of it. Mm. Well, I think it's it's lovely. And I, I like the tensions that are in it. I like the the oh, tension thanks. between the sweet and the there is that slightly salty and the mm -hmm. it, it's so buttery it's so buttery yeah, yeah. it smells like you could spread it on your toast at times <laughs> it's interesting because i'll occasionally wander you know online to see you know if, if if what people have said and you you have the great mixture of um some some positive and some a little bit of negative once in a while but you know a few times people said i'm looking for something that has a bit of butter in it and people say oh my god you must you must try salpernico so yeah. i think i've staked out a bit of a of a, of a butter perfume area there that people seem to <laughs> go to i do think what is interesting when you you were talking about Norse mythology. As I was creating this, I distinctly felt that this was a very northern smell, which is interesting to me because it does have some fruits and, and creaminess in it. And I, for some reason, I kept imagining in my mind this very sort of topsy turvy kitchen in a in a northern climate, you know, perhaps even Scandinavian, where you know everything was maybe upside down in a, in one of those houses where the boards are kind of nailed on incorrectly or something. But but you'd wake up to this breakfast that was kind of lovingly prepared, and that was sort of a working model image in my head. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it was directly out of something that could have been in a fairy tale, but but having a lot of positive vibes behind it. And you've hit the nail on the head for me about one of the things that I love about perfume is the fact that it connects this idea in my head with this idea that you had when you were creating it. Right. And isn't that wonderful? I mean, we'd never yeah. met before we met at, um, in Milan at Essence. Right. And yet we both had this thought that is now connected. I just think that's amazing. 
It is, isn't it? Right. And then it just, what happens that's great is that it just enriches our ideas, right? About what, what it can be. Yeah. Mm. That's what I love about that as well. Yeah. So out of all the, the January Scent Project um, fragrances, which one are you most proud of? It's a good question. And I thought a bit, and I would say that probably the one that uh, I, I'm overall most proud with proud of is the scent called Barvuvu, which is the um, it's very cedar geranium based scent. And I, I would say that for a few reasons. One being that I think I had really perfected my process quite a bit, and um, process has a lot to do with how we make perfumes. It, it, it can be really hard, and you can often find yourself in a really long battle trying to get a perfume to smell right. And I think focusing so much on, on the, the loveliness of cedar and doing a, a long analysis of different kinds of cedar and collecting them and smelling them, the process was, was really fun and enjoyable. And I went on a couple of tangents and decided one that I liked and the product in the end really resonated with a lot of people. And, and, and I also found that it resonated with people from many different parts of the world, which is interesting to me because I was a little afraid that it would only speak to people who've actually, you know, uh, walked through forests before, you know, which, mm. <laughs> um, but, but a lot of people from very different climates and everything were, had interesting things to say. So I think it was a good summation of the process from start to finish, you know, from initial idea all the way to release and, and discussion with folks afterwards that really just had so much goodwill behind it and felt really positive to me. And, and I think that's why it, I'm probably most proud of that work. Brilliant. And how do you feel about the state of the perfume industry as a whole today? What role are non-traditional type perfumers like yourself playing in changing and shaping the future of the industry? I have some some specific ideas about it, and I'd love to hear your thoughts as well. I I think that I almost want to take a kind of Virginia Woolf approach to this in a way, in that I have a full-time job, and I feel that that's enabled me in some ways a bit of freedom in that I'm not using perfume as my primary source of income, you know, and so I it, it allows me a certain amount of freedom because other things are paying the bills right now. If I was driven economically to run my life based on my perfume as an independent maker, I think it might be trickier for me unless I built up a really big fan base. So I think sometimes uh, there's some real practical concerns that come into to perfume and people aren't really aware of that. For an independent person, economics really can be an issue. A, a good example of that too is that um, the model of how you promote yourself and sell your work is is pretty complex, especially if you're a single contributor um, and you pretty much make your, all of your own work. So I think for independence, at some point you need to make a decision about what, where you want to go and, you know, do you want to get bigger? Do you want to stay small to retain a lot of your sort of artistic freedom, if you will? So I see that there's a lot of parallels to that in artisan and niche worlds and perfume where you see some brands going through some growing pains and some are doing it well. Some I think are struggling because they're not quite sure where they belong in all of this. Now, how, how do you see some of this? I think for me, it's about, a, you know, life generally is about a balancing act. It's about mm -hmm. doing things that you have to do 
earning money to pay your mortgage and doing things that you want to do, like going on holiday. And I think everything is in this fine balance of, well, I have to work so I can afford to go on holiday or so I can afford some art supplies or you know, whatever right. it is. And I really like your approach of it not being your primary source of income. So you've got that creative freedom that is not tied necessarily to the economic viability of the project. Right. Um, I think that's really cool. I mean, I too see brands that are very confused about where they are mm -hmm. and I think some of that comes from the role of the that the internet plays in helping shape those brands because I, I too have a full-time job and I was at um, a marketing conference recently where somebody said something which really resonated with me and he said you don't pilot your brand you know you don't own it anymore because of the internet you set it off and all you can do is steer it but actually brands have been democratized by digital media and by the internet so uh, yeah they no longer just belong to the creator and i think what happens with some brands when they tie themselves very strongly to an economic need is yeah. that they get steered by all the feedback that is available now and rather right. than retaining a sort of integrity in their own work they get dragged into well some big perfume journal you know somebody like Luca Turin has hated it so we can't do that anymore ah uh, yeah yeah so right. I think I think that really plays a part in helping you know sort of move and reposition brands and I think sometimes brands weather that really well and I think sometimes they become confused as a result of it and like you say yeah. if it's then tied to their that if that's their income and that you know the need to sell those units in order to pay their mortgages the whole thing becomes slightly different and it becomes a slightly different animal correct yeah no, so, this makes a lot makes a lot of sense and I, I really i really like what you'd said about how in a sense that there's sort of a democratization of of brand based on the feedback of, of of media and there is that case where i think you know if you are not so much tied to the success of the brand as a as, as the source of all your income you do it does afford you a lot more opportunity to make some decisions and release when you want when you can you know there isn't sort of these these big pressures that you have to follow a certain schedule of releases because then i i feel also you're starting to there's there's a scale problem where you're starting to mimic a large brand, but you mm. don't have the same resources they have. So it's it's sort of a weird. It's like wearing a a suit that's two sizes too big, you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's an interesting situation. So and we we've we've both got this shared experience of writing about perfume. So you know, do you think there's a role that fragrance journalists have to play in this? I, I do think that it's was certainly more of a spotlight on journalism and certainly it's grown in the sense that um, video uh, bloggers are, are certainly sharing um, that space as well. And, and I say spotlight more, more like that it's, it's scrutinized more. And I do think people are reading a lot. They're consuming a lot of media about perfume. And I do believe that some influence occurs and and you know it was interesting I, I you know after meeting in milan and and thinking about a lot of stuff that we saw in milan because there was a a lot of influencers and a, a lot of writers um 
gathered in Milan and you and I had spoken about that. I was sort of sussing through all that information and, and wondering, you know, what my thoughts were on it. And I believe that there's some, there's kind of a responsibility to some degree and, and it's not, it's not like, you know, it's not the responsibility that sort of doctors have, you know, about saving lives or anything, but I think, <laughs> but it is a little bit like the Hippocratic oath of do no harm. You know, I don't, you know, I think you, one can approach this and, and be informative and talk about one's experiences with perfume. And, and it still all remains very much a, a you're helping the consumer and expressing yourself. And mm. if you sort of, and in those two things, I think if you're maintaining that, and I'm not trying to sort of tell anyone how to work, but I thought, you know, as long as I'm still doing that, I feel that what I'm doing is worth doing. And I, and I feel good with how I'm, I'm doing work. And mm. I don't think that I'm running into problems with this whole influence culture. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think I've spoken to other perfumers who've been really quite upset because somebody across the other side of the world who's got x thousand number of followers has for whatever reason taken it upon themselves to tear into their brand or one of their scents and they get very worried that nobody from that country over there is going to buy my stuff now because so-and-so said that it's rubbish and i think that's really sad because actually i see the role of fragrance writers particularly like you it's about exposing that product to a wider mm-hmm. audience and i also think for me there's something about democratizing that process because the, one of the reasons i started writing about fragrances i found it so intimidating to go into these shops and be confronted with people who knew more way more about perfume than i did and they would be like oh you don't know creed you know, who are you? What rock have you crawled out from under? <laughs> and I just thought, this is ridiculous. You know, I I have the ability and the want and the desire to go seek out something that I like. So why are these people being, like, rude and horrible and snobby with me? And I thought, right. I, actually, I just want to talk about this in a way that other people can see me as um, as somebody that, I'm, you know, they may be sat in the pub with and I'm saying to them, oh, well, this is a really cool scent to try or that's a really cool scent to try. That's such a great. It's such a great approach, and I and I still feel like I'm so glad to hear you say that because, in so many ways, that enthusiasm and curiosity mixed together is still what keeps me writing. You know, because a few people have mentioned, you know, God, you're still writing as you are perfuming, and I said, yeah, it absolutely is something I love doing, and it still exposes me to scents and what I love is that I am still encountering perfume that moves me to such an extent that I'll say, oh, you know, you've got to smell this. This is really, really good. And and that desire to um, experience and share and then to want to talk about it to a wider audience has never gotten boring for me to, to this day. I still I still find that fascinating. And I, I suppose that may be where things split off. But there are some folks in that environment who they've realized, whoa, you know, I can make a, a major career out of, you know, influencing the public. And, they, and maybe they find a little bit of power that comes from that. And then there are, I think, folks like you and I who ha- are still just really kind of astounded by what I find is just the the incredible olfactory kick of like something that really sparks the senses and and wanting to talk about it is um, is such a driver. So what's next for January Sun Project, the brand, and where would you like to be in five years' time? 
Oh, wow. Wow. That's such a great question. Well, what's really good about that question is the fact that I, you know, I don't have to have a master plan. And that's what's helpful here is that I do have um, a few friends, perfumers that I speak to pretty regularly. And um, there's one or two who I think do have they're they're organized enough that they have some big plans and then a few who we talk about the the love of having a master (laughs) and they we we would love to do it no i i actually do um i do think a lot and i i tend to one thing i've decided about about january send project is that i like the fact that i move in some ways kind of slowly and that's really important to me is that i'm not and I think actually the people who like my work and have been interested in my work enjoy that part is that I'm not out to to take over the world and, and nor do I, would I think anyone would find that interesting about the, the project. But I, I've been releasing about one to two perfumes a year. I may diversify a tiny bit. I've, I've been experimenting and making uh, soap, you know, which, which is really exciting because I just use like a regular bar soap every day. So I thought, wow, something really functional that I could make besides perfume. And I do have a perfume that I'm working on right now that I'm extremely excited about because it's uh, involving incense, which is one of my very favorite components in perfume. And I think that it's part of a long process where I've been sort of upgrading my packaging and I've got a lot of visions of the, the sort of design process of like where I want things to go visually. I, I want to start making a bit more film and sound that go along with some of the, um, the, the sense I'd love to start working on some animation as well. I, oh boy, I'm really setting a pretty ambitious <laughs> arc here, right? You know, um, but I have thought about how, how fascinating it would be to create like a few short animated films about that sort of promote the perfumes, which would completely go along with the whole visual stuff and the fairy tales and mythology. I mean, it would be mm. wild to do that. But um, I think what the, the overall, though, I think what I what I'm saying is that I'm I'm at a pace of creating now that really feels good to me, where it's a bit of an ambling or kind of a walk through the forest pace which really feels good for me now i'm not i'm not going to go faster than that because i think people have liked this so far and it feels like the right pace right now absolutely yeah and i think that's that's wonderful take your time and bring us something wonderful (laughs) Uh, i hope to i really do i do smashing well thank you so much for joining us today and um, this has been brilliant i've really enjoyed talking to you thank you thank Um, you i really appreciate it The Sniff is written and produced by me, Nicola Thomas, with music by Phil Collingwood. Our guest today was John Beeble from January Scent Project. You can find January Scent Project online at www.januaryscent.com. You can find reviews from The Sniff online as well at the-sniff.com. We're also on Instagram at The Sniff website and Twitter with the same handle. Thanks very much for listening. <laughs>